morning. It's good to have you here with us, Mokan, today. And all of you. I was reading through <coughs> some selections of a forthcoming book by Shodo Harada Roshi called A Staff for the Mind. And uh, he takes calligraphies and verses and comments on them. And in this one, I was particularly struck for a couple of reasons that I will make clear in words today. For one thing, it's a holiday season, and there are many people who are visiting relatives or being visited by relatives or in one way or another thinking deeply about family connections and friends, right? He says, from far away, good friends have come to visit. Since they are stopping on the way to another destination, the visit cannot be for long, but as the visitors and their host talk for the first time in a long while, they stay up all night without even noticing it. As the dawn breaks, it is necessary for the visitors to depart. As they say goodbye at the main gate, the wind is blowing and the bamboo in the grove is swaying and it is so hard to part. It is such a profound moment, not knowing if they will meet again in this lifetime. Our encounters are always moments of one time, one opportunity. This refers to the tea ceremony saying, Ichigo, Ichie. This one time, this one act, right? And I was thinking about my uncle, Arthur Wasserman, who's Ehi is on the altar, who passed away not too long ago, and uh, his 49th day will be January 11th, and my cousins, his sons, and I were talking about when this service might be held, and they are not Buddhists, uh, don't think they really follow any particular tradition, but I did tell them about the 49th day coming on that very date. And sure enough, they arranged for us to get together in Milwaukee. And as the emails have gone around to various family members, it's astonishing to me how many cousins I don't know. So many people that he kept in touch with. He was the one person left in our family who made it his business to know every single child of every single sibling and sibling's family and constantly emailing with them and encouraging them and doing all manner of deeply loving reaching out. So we're all going to be together, or some may be on some kind of... Um, 
technological apparatus that allows you to be present. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it made me think about that. And then Ahara Roshi continues, in Buddhism we also have the words, all things that are born will die. All things that meet will separate. Where there is birth, there will be death. Where there is meeting, there will be separation. And after this verse, he comments, to meet is the beginning of parting. Meeting must always be accompanied by separation. Even if we meet again, our encounter of this moment will never be duplicated. Even when we have only a small amount of time, to be together is something to be deeply thankful for. A very mysterious karmic connecting. Meeting with people is always a matter of karmic connection. Thinking about it like this, the parting becomes so poignant. It is the truth of our life. And each time we meet with someone, every moment must be held precious. This, of course, is the way we feel when we participate not only in a sitting like this today, here, and elsewhere when people come together for zazen, but especially for session, especially recently, Rohohatsu session at Daibasatsu, at the end, feeling this very much, this particular group, and I know this is true for those of you who sat to Rohatsu here, this particular group, when will we meet again? We will never meet again in the same configuration, of course, but can we be sure that we will see each other again? I think you know the answer. So I've been visiting with two Sangha members who are facing death. And one is quite elderly she came down with a very rare cancer that they're pretty sure will soon spread to major organs and they have no chemo or radiation that's effective for this cancer. So she's recovering from surgery from the, the first uh, site that they could do surgery on but it's very clear to her that 
it's unreasonable to expect any so-called medical miracle or even limited success. So we had a very deep conversation yesterday. After speaking about the various medical things that have been going on, we fell into a discussion that was very much like this reading. And this very wise song member spoke about how she is not trying to hold on to anything. And she is not afraid of the next, what we might call, phase of her journey. And she's curious about what will happen. What's next? How will it be? And she said, she is so deeply grateful for how precious every moment is. And then I got a a card from someone else who's been also struggling with a uh, an illness that is she's not likely to have many more years left because of. And she writes. She's an artist and and. Uh, and a writer, and she writes, I'm extremely grateful for the past year. Grateful for the diagnosis, grateful for the treatments I've been receiving at Tufts in Boston, grateful for my Zen practice, which has sustained me throughout and is continuing to do so. Grateful to be alive and practicing. Grateful to be turning 77 on December 15th, if it is so destined. I am grateful for your words, your presence in my life, your work in the world on behalf of all of us. Deeply grateful that our paths have been intertwined over so many years. She and I started uh, with Maureen Stewart around the same time, so I've known her a long time. Maybe since the uh, early to mid-80s. And she says, P.S. My first book of poetry is coming out in 2020. Journeys on the Wheel. And of course, all of us are very aware that Jisho is not sitting here with us this morning, despite her such deep, deep wish to be at every sitting. And knowing how 
tenuous and precarious. Her thread is. All we can do is share in what she says again and again. Deep gratitude. And then I got a, a book that was sent to me for my, they're hoping, jacket blurb or some such thing by um, Yoshin David Radin, who runs the Ithaca Zen Center. I don't know if any of you have ever have been there. You remember him. And um, he had been suffering for many years and recently um, very uh, precarious again. Hold on life in this form because of kidney failure. But he was able to have a kidney transplant so he wrote a book called A Temporary Affair. And in the first paragraph, each one of us will one day experience a day that has no tomorrow. Each one of us will experience an outbreath that is not followed by an in-breath. Each one of us will experience a night going to sleep that has no morning. Or we will experience one day a morning that has no evening. This is the human condition that is referred to as impermanence. To live with a deep acceptance of impermanence is to be a follower of the Buddha's wisdom. Given that this is the human condition, how do you greet your last morning? How do you greet your last meeting with a friend? How do you greet your last sunrise? And of course, we never quite believe that, do we? The alarm rings. We get up, get dressed, go about our day. Always thinking, oh, tomorrow I have to da 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 da. <laughs> or next week. It is often only when impermanence touches you, he says that the preciousness of being alive touches you. So many of us have experienced that impermanence either in our own lives through near-death experiences or in the lives of people we have loved and love and know that we can't assume that we will see them again. So I don't mean to 
bring you down at this time when we're supposed to be singing and carols and lighting candles and having festivities, but knowing that as we do these things, the context is nothing but this may be the last time <laughs> makes them that much more wonderful. And December 21st is coming up. That's the winter solstice, yes? You may remember that uh, after Togon and I returned from the Parliament of World Religions and Jikyo and I spoke, I think that following Sunday, about our experiences, and I talked about Tom Porter, our local, I don't mean so local, he lives up in Askwasasne area, but anyway, he was one of the Haudenosaunee who went up there, and he spoke about his visitation from Mother Earth. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. He was driving in the car. He was driving up to Toronto thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't have anything to say. And he had this voice, Mother Earth. You have been disregarding me. You have been treating me very shabbily, you humans. I don't know how much longer I can support you. And she gave a very helpful suggestion. At least don't drive on the solstice. Now the 21st is coming up, it's Saturday. And many of you have plans, right? That require transportation. (laughs) And this is true all the time. It is clearly not a matter of the solstice that we have to be concerned about, right? It's not simply the 21st of December and the 21st of June that we are going to be at least paying attention to the fact that driving takes fossil fuels, unless you have a completely electric car. And even then, how far can you go? And what about that electricity? Well, needless to say, carpooling is important. We try to do that when we come here. Always the two of you are carpooling, right? At least one person isn't driving a car. Very good. But we have to give it more thought than we do. And that's just the tip of the melting iceberg. So you know Greta Thunberg, right? 16, 17, she addressed the United Nations Climate Action Summit in September and said, we're in the beginning of a mass extinction and yet 
All you can talk about is money. You are failing us. So recently, she was on the cover of Time magazine. She was made Time Person of the Year, just as Trump was in 2016. Ha! <laughs> so she was asked, well, what about Time? She said, we have five or six years. Not the answer she was expected to give. Aren't you excited about being on time? Mm-hmm. Cover of Time magazine? No. What about time? What do you think about time? This evening, there's a very important coming together of the citizens of this city. It has to do with the fact that 2019 is the 400th year since slavery, since the first slave ship arrived. And there's a gathering to talk over how it is that Syracuse, which was a city known for its abolitionist work, is now one of the worst examples of segregation and poverty amongst people of color. So this is being tackled. We're looking at it. We're going to talk about it instead of ignoring it or pretending it's not happening all around us. Tonight at, uh, somebody knows where, Hops Memorial Memorial Church on State Street, Mm -hmm. 6 p.m. And so in the face of five or six years, in the face of impermanence. Some people may feel like there's, there's just nothing we can do about it. It's hopeless. If we fall into this, then we are not realizing how precious this is. What our responsibility is, that we cannot just close our eyes. That we have to be wide awake to all the ways in which we can make whatever small difference we can. To realize how precious this moment is means to care, right? To care deeply to care so much that we find new and creative ways of addressing the situation. Whatever our life circumstances may be, whatever we do in our day-to-day lives, whether we're living at the monastery or creating beautiful ceramics or 
doing various things that affect the community positively, like teaching meditation or working on behalf of the environment or looking around and seeing, these people need my help. How can I be there for them? Whatever it is that we're doing, we have to frame it with awareness of what the moment asks of us, the greater context, the significance, what it is to be a human being, to be given this rare opportunity to take human form, to encounter the Dharma, to make this body and mind deeply responsive, not caught up in all the usual egocentric concerns that are basically a means of distracting us from what is needed. And another section, Yoshin, David Raiden, says, This is what the training, our Zen training, is designed to produce. The appreciation of your very existence. If we really appreciate how precious our very existence is, right? Then, of course, we're going to offer it. He goes on. Instead of mere use of existence to satisfy self-based desires, this is what the training is designed to produce, that you are appearing here with the precious body of a human being. And in this body, you are capable of realizing that there is a wisdom that transcends the ego and transcends the form of every creature who appears in this world. He goes on, the human body is perhaps the only form in which this insight is accessible. A human being is more sophisticated than an amoeba. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever seen an amoeba? Yes, under microscope. <laughs> and we don't know for sure how sophisticated that consciousness of an amoeba is, but this is kind of an assumption that a human being is more sophisticated than an amoeba or a fish or a dog. And he talks about the human mind, the sophistication of this mind. 
But he says, however, it's used by most people in ways that are ridiculous, or in some cases even barbaric. Used to dominate others. Used to create destruction. No matter how angry a dog gets, it can only hurt a limited number of things. But human beings, because of the sophistication of the mind, can hurt and destroy an entire ecosystem, which is what is happening out of greed, anger, and ignorance. But, he says, if we are fortunate, we meet the Buddha Dharma, which says, look closely into your own mind. You will see that the body-mind does not contain a self. There is no other species that can contemplate their own existence in this way. And therefore, this responsibility of being human is one that we are both blessed and in a way cursed to have. We cannot take it lightly. We must be 100% in this gratitude for the preciousness of this body-mind. And 100% in awareness of what is being asked of us and how we can make that difference to this one, as the starfish story tells us. You remember that story? Man is picking up starfish along the beach and throwing them back into the water, and there are many, 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 on and on and on, and someone comes to him and says, what are you doing? I'm throwing the starfish back into the water. What difference can that make? It makes a difference, too this one. So each of us, each of us, it makes a difference to this one.